Welcome back to another episode of the Test Studio Times podcast with your host, Sam Ostry, alongside Ben Dixon. Ben, we have a lot to get to today. We're going to start with Maryland basketball, which we did not expect a week ago that we'd be kicking off this show with Maryland basketball, but we have no choice. And then we'll get to Maryland football's almost upset bid at Ohio State and preview the Rutgers game. But first, Ben, how are we on this Tuesday? We're recording early because it's Thanksgiving week. How are you? Doing well, Sam. Wanted to get this episode out to the viewers before you know, Thanksgiving got into full swing and then Wednesday afternoon tomorrow. So give them an extra day to kind of consume this, you know, exciting time of, of Maryland basketball. And then obviously a lot's happening with the football team as well. Yeah. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone in advance who's listening to this. Um, we hope you enjoy the week, but um, I'm, Maryland basketball gave everyone listening already uh, an early Thanksgiving gift, I guess, if you give gifts on Thanksgiving, I guess some people do that, but let's talk about Maryland basketball. Um, they're five and oh, and they had two monster wins over St. Louis when they won 95 to 67. And then the next day they came back and beat Miami um, 88 to 70 to win the championship at the Mohegan Sun Classic, the Basketball Hall of Fame tip off tournament. Uh, it was an incredibly impressive two days. You know, going into this tournament, we didn't know exactly what to think of Maryland. They had had monster wins over three lesser opponents, but St. Louis and Miami are really good, especially St. Louis. When Maryland came in as a four point underdog against St. Louis entering that game and they just blasted them. They looked phenomenal, phenomenally efficient offensively. They were locked in defensively. We're going to get to uh, some individual performances and then Kevin Willers, obviously early season success as a whole. But Ben first, what did you make of this Maryland's team? This Maryland's, team's weekend but also just the early start when they're five and oh when i don't think anyone expected them to be to be at this point right now when they're ranked they're ranked number 23 they're ranked number 23 and nobody thought for a second this team would be ranked at any point this season they were picked 10th they were picked to finish 10th in the big 10 nowhere near the tournament people really thought they would be what do you what do you make of this ben it is crazy sam i think i'd be remiss if i didn't start with this all of our preseason talk, all of our talk in these first couple weeks of the season has been based on this roster and the uncertainty of the bench. Can Ian Martinez be your sixth man? Can Jahari Long and Patrick Nillian contribute to this rotation? I think both of us are, and pretty much everyone involved in Maryland roster discussion is going to have to eat their words here because through five games, this is pretty much a perfectly constructed roster as I see it. There hasn't been a net negative of any of the eight rotation players that uh, are now, you know, those eight guys, but Jameer Young, Don Carey, Akeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Juju restarting. And then Jahari Long really turning into the backup one now, uh, Ian Martinez, and Patrick Emilian, who's been really good on the defensive end as well. So I wanted to start with that. All those guys' contributions have been huge into this team, you know, playing as hard as ever, in my opinion, and playing as well as they have on the defensive end, which has really allowed them to do whatever they want on the offensive end, Kevin Willard has said. You know, he's an easy coach to play for. All he asks is that you go all out for 40 minutes on defense, you give it your all, and then you can do whatever the heck you want on offense. And what we saw in Mohegan Sun was, you know, kind of an offensive clinic in a way. I mean, Maryland, 13 threes in game one against St. Louis, nine threes in the second game against Miami. I'm not sure that this team is as good of a shooting team as they, you know, Mohegan Sun indicated because that was definitely a concern of ours going into the tournament. But just an absolute clinic in that sense. You know, 18 turnover against, against Miami, and it didn't even matter. They still won by 18 points because they scored 88 points and dominated in every other facet of the game. There really is a lot more specifics to get into, which we will. But overall, takeaways from that weekend is just extremely, extremely impressive how this group has arrived so early. Yeah, it's remarkable how Kevin Willard has gotten these guys to buy in this early on in the season. Um, You know, Kevin Willard kind of tempered expectations at the beginning of the year, like, like, you know, this team, there's going to be a lot of learning curves. A lot of these guys have played for a ton of different coaches, a ton of different systems, and we're learning and we're trying to get there. But for whatever reason, this team has bought in to Kevin Willard's system and to his style. And it's interesting because this isn't Kevin Willard's roster at all. You know, when a team comes in, they're not the architect of when a coach comes in, excuse me, they're not the architect of that roster in year one in college basketball. But for whatever reason, this team has taken on the personality of their head coach and Kevin Willard. The intensity on the defensive end has been beautiful to watch. They are beyond locked in offensively. They're free flowing. They're pushing the ball, playing with a ton of pace, um, playing with energy, shooting a ton of threes, but playing inside out as well. There's, there's not a lot of flaws. I will push back one thing you said. It's a perfectly constructed roster. I don't know about perfect, but it, it, I mean, all eight guys have been net positive so far. Yes, that that's true. But I do, I, we can get into this later. I do have serious concerns about the bench still. Um, Ian Martinez obviously did have a a huge game. Um, I believe it was against Miami, right? 
or was it? Yeah, Miami. I think he. Yeah, he hit fourteen points. Fourteen against Miami. Four for four from two. Two for four from three. Yeah, so so that's a great game at Ian Martinez. I do have concerns about the bench moving forward, especially as they play some some deeper teams uh, in the Big Ten. I think they were matched up particularly well against St. Louis and Miami, who don't have a huge big. And right. Julian Reese was able to play really well, even if they didn't pop out in the stat sheet um, in game one when he only had four points. Or, yeah, excuse me, only had four points. He was still phenomenal rebounding defensively, passing the ball even. But I do still have concerns about the bench. But this starting unit, is really well constructed, like you said, and and it starts with Jameer Young, who's who's the orchestrator of the offense. You know, he this offense, he's kind of he's the ball handler. This offense goes as he goes, and he's a quick, athletic, strong guard. He can step back and shoot the ball. He can pass, has a ton of vision, and he likes to play fast. When your point guard point guard likes to play fast, and your head coach is encouraging you to play fast, it's going to be a recipe for success. And they've done a great job in transition. And right with Jameer, the turnovers, you know, are going to happen. I think he had five against Miami, three against St. Louis. They're going to happen just given what this team is, what this team's agenda is in terms of playing fast and pushing the ball up the floor. But it's not even Jameer's scoring ability to slice through defense and make plays for his teammates as well. He's really just been an an all-around guy at the point guard position. He's rebounding the ball. I think he had five against Miami, three against St. Louis. He's he's had, what, at least three rebounds in every game, and I think – he had seven against Niagara and then I think at three games with at least five. So he's really, you know, turned into an all around player at that point guard position, rebounding the ball, pushing the pace, getting his teammates involved. And I think the more you see him, it's only been five games and the more you see him kind of get into the flow of this offense with guys like Don Carey, who are starting to shoot the ball at a really high rate guys like Keem Hart, who's playing, you know, the best offense we've seen him play. And the same could be said with Dante Scott and then Juju Reese, who will continue to evolve. I think as the games kind of go on and, and as Maryland gets more games under their belt, Jameer's going to turn into a really seasoned point guard. And he seems like a guy who could be ready for Big Ten play as well. Yeah. And, you know, Willard said earlier this year that a lot of these guys, they're playing like they have a chip on their shoulder. And you, you think about you go down the starting unit and really all of them do have a chip on their shoulder. And they're, they're playing like you see that manifest itself on the court, like Jameer Young's coming in from Charlotte, dominated at Charlotte. But that's a different that's a different level of competition than it is at Maryland and in the, in the Big Ten Conference. So he has something to prove in his last year. Um, or I don't know if it's last year necessarily, but uh, as a, as a grad transfer. Don Carey is coming over from Georgetown, uh, and he was a part of a team that had one of the worst seasons in college basketball, probably Awful. in George, Georgetown history. Um, you know, he, he he has a lot to prove to the college basketball fans. Dante Scott is a guy that that was before last season garnering NBA buzz and kind of completely fell off. It just went downhill, had a really rough last season on both ends of the floor last season. He lost a ton of weight. He has a ton to prove to not just NBA scouts to the next level, but to, to college basketball world, to Maryland fans. Uh, he, he has a ton to prove, and he's showing that early, and we'll talk about him a little more in a little bit. And then Hakeem Hart, again, a guy that's always gone under the radar, hasn't gotten the the respect necessarily that he might think he's he deserves, but a phenomenal defensive player, can shoot the three ball. When he's aggressive and attacking, he's a really solid player. And then you go to Julian Reese, who was the backup big to Kudus Wahab last year, even though Julian Reese was probably the more talented player as a freshman. Now he's in a sophomore season, looking to take that next step. Another guy that that can garner NBA buzz and he, and he's playing phenomenal. So this whole team really does have chip chips on their shoulder and they have a lot to prove. And of course their head coach does too. He's taking over a really tough job for, from a guy that had success, but was kind of just completely ousted by the fan base by the end. Um, So he's, he knew the pressure that he has and Kevin Willard likes to say he doesn't, he doesn't feel the pressure at all. But, you know, he he still knows, he's aware of the pressure you have being the head coach of Maryland basketball. And everyone up and down this roster has something to prove. And they're, they're playing like that early. Yeah, look, he said he was nervous before the first game of the season. And yes, that could just be because the first day at a new job. But he definitely understands the magnitude that this basketball program comes with and the pressure to succeed. You know, you saw it take its toll on, on Mark Turgeon. And obviously you saw it with, with Gary Williams, who did reach the pinnacle of success here at Maryland. Um, but yeah, look, look, look at what Kevin Willard has done so far. A couple stats I saw on Twitter that I wanted to pull up quickly, um, courtesy of uh, Andrew Emmer, Maryland personality on Twitter. So Maryland had two top 50 Kempom wins away from home this weekend, both by double digits. We can argue that, you know, those were signature wins, whatever you want to say. In the last 10 seasons, they had four wins of that kind com- combined. Or the last 10 seasons, excuse me, four wins 
um, away from home against top 50 teams by double digits. Willard is setting kind of a new standard. I I don't want to say of of accomplishments just because it's so early on five games into his career, but he's kind of changing the expectations among this fan base in terms of, look, this team is playing really hard and really well for 40 minutes straight on both sides of the floor against teams that are really good. We saw last year, if Maryland lost to George Mason, Maryland struggled with Vermont, Maryland struggled with Hofstra. We even saw years and years ago when Maryland was the preseason number two team in the country with Mel Trimble and then Coach Sturgeon was leading that team, they had trouble beating teams like Ryder. So this is a team that's playing hard for 40 minutes straight, both sides of the floor. I think that's the biggest difference in my opinion, and I think that's just really just a, a true indication of what Willard has brought to this culture and this program thus far. Yeah, and look, there was no expectation coming into the season, like zero. Like Willard, Willard kind of knows that, and he he it was like it's kind of a nothing to lose approach. No one expected them to make the tournament. No one expected them to be ranked at any point. No one expected them to even really compete in the Big Ten. So they're all and and Willard understood that because it's first year, and like I said, it's not really his team. It, it's not really his recruits, other than the transfers that he brought in. So it's there's there was not a lot of pressure coming in for this one season, even though there kind of is when when, when you. When you look at the broader perspective picture, there will be pressure on Willard, but there was no pressure coming in. They're playing like they have nothing to lose, and that's kind of what breeds them playing incredibly hard. And they do have a chip on their shoulder, like I was talking about. And they're just their intensity is on another level. They look like they're having fun out there. Last year, the offense looked so stale, it was slow. They would walk the ball up the court. Um, yeah, they would play hard defensively, grab a defensive rebound, walk the ball up the court. They're grabbing the the ball off the rim pushing in in transition, pressing on some made baskets. They're playing a new style, a fun style, and it's, it seems like it's benefiting this roster that's that's constructed perfectly for fast-paced style of play. Absolutely, and, and like you said, Sam, just playing harder, turning defense into offense. I mean, the way this team has not only protected the rim this past weekend, altering pretty much every shot uh, Juju and Patrick Million did, but defending backdoor cuts, just playing with a different level of intensity, the the press, getting offensive rebounds. I mean, they turned, I don't know how many second chance points they had against Miami, but that set the, to- the tone really early in that championship game Sunday. This team is just playing, and I wrote about it, you know, I, everyone's going to be talking about it. This, the level of intensity and this willingness to play hard for 40 minutes straight you know, it may sound like a given, but it, it's it's hard to do to get a group of guys that have never played on in your system before, um, kind of getting 11 or now eight guys in this rotation to get them to, on the same page and play as hard as possible and, and play with that chip on the shoulder, like you mentioned, in, in, in terms of finding success. And that's exactly what they've done. It, it's It's been amazing. Just even the little things have stood out from this team. And, and it's been, you know, really fun to watch, like you said. Yeah, and let's talk about the individual player performances because three point shooting was a little bit of concern after the first three games. Again, they dominated weaker opponents, but they came out on fire in Connecticut for this tournament this weekend Um, against St. Louis. They shot 41% from three. And then uh, they followed that up with shooting 43% from three against Miami. I don't know if those are sustainable numbers, but they were phenomenally phenomenal shooting ball. And they do have a lot of shooters on this roster. Like Dan, Don Carey was known as a sniper. And yeah, he was shooting two for 14 coming to the weekend, really struggling to start the season. But then he shoots four for 10 against St. Louis and follows that up with a four for nine performance against Miami from three. So he obviously has proven himself as a real three-point threat and defenders are going to have to get out him and, and force him to to score off the dribble because he is a phenomenal shooter that he's shown. Jameer Young is capable of, of knocking down a three. Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott. Dante Scott's shooting the ball really well from three this season. And he's, and he's taking, he's being selective with his threes, which is really important when you watch him. Last year, he kind of just jacked them up. His shot selection was poor. He's being really selective with his threes. His focus is to get downhill. But when he's not, when he's coming out and shooting a, a three, whether it's off a pin down screen or in transition, he's knocking them down at a high rate. So that's really important. This is a good. This is just a good offensive team. You know, like when, when those stars on the floor, they're meshing really well together. They're not running complicated things, but they're either pushing the ball or they're running simple half court sets to get certain guys looks like Jameer, uh, excuse me, like Julian Reese on the block, uh, Dante Scott on the block or get three point shooters looks and they're working at a high rate. So this is a ta- this is a more talented team, I think, than people were giving them credit for in the preseason. Or just how they, they blend together simply. Obviously, I'd like to see Don Carey shooting the ball at a higher rate as he did this past weekend. That'll be a, a major plus and perhaps an X factor to this Terps team because I don't know if they're as good of a shooting team as they showed in Mohegan Sun. I think that'd be pretty hard to match. But I think they're definitely a better shooting team than they showed against Western Carolina and Binghamton. 
So we'll see if on, on that standpoint. Uh, talk about those plays and, uh, you know, down low on offense between Dante Scott, who's really just bodying guys from the, from the elbow down and, and using his strength to just out-muscle and, and use that soft touch to get some buckets down low. Julian Reese has been really good down low. I think a part, I, I mentioned this uh, in, a, in a piece last week, and Kevin Willard has talked about it very much, you know, Juju Reese being maybe a 19-9 and type guy in these non-conference games, but he wants to see him have four assists. Julian Reese's passing ability was on full display against Miami. I get that he only had two assists, but one of them was out of a double team to Akeem for three. It, it's him out of the block. If, if he's as good of a passer as, as Kevin Willard says he is, and we've seen flashes that, I think that changes everything as well. Because, yes, he's playing the five, and, you know, he's not a true five in the sense that he's undersized, but and but he can't really shoot that, that well either from three yet. Um, so he's not like a, a stretch four or anything, but he's playing the five. And he's really doing um, a really good job in all aspects of the game, both scoring on the offensive glass and making plays for his teammates as well. So I think, like you said, Sam, this these, this group of five guys in the starting lineup is really well constructed, and they kind of all complement each other very well. Yeah, to talk about a little more about Julian Reese, he looks really physical and comfortable on the block in a way you didn't really see last year um, as much. And obviously, he didn't get as many minutes, and maybe he it took a little longer for him to settle in because his, his minutes were shaky coming off the bench for the most part. But... Julian Reese looks really comfortable on the block. He he has good footwork down there, good moves. He's physical, um, both on rebounding the basketball, but also defensively and offensively. And he just looks like a much smarter, more mature basketball player. You know, last year you saw a lot of stupid fouls. Instead of walling up, he would kind of come down on guys. Um, and it was an obvious foul. He's playing physical still defensively, but he's playing much smarter. Um, and he's playing more minutes, and fouls really haven't been uh, uh, too much of an issue this year for him. So I- I'm really impressed from what we've seen from Julian Reese. And yeah, he is a guy. He is a great passer. He also can shoot a little mid-range jumper or even a three-ball we saw a few times last season. We haven't seen that a lot this season. I don't know if he'll ever go to that. Maybe he will as as they played some big, some great bigs in the Big Ten. He'll have to go away from the basket a little bit more. But for the most part, um. He, he's kind of just playing inside and doing a great job um, screening. He's really just been everything that you could ask for in a big, um, like everything you could have asked for in a big, he, big he's been, excuse me. And then even against St. Louis, he only had four points, but I'm not even looking at the scoring. He had three assists. He had five boards and just, I thought he was made a huge impact defensively. So it's not even when he, you know, when other guys are clicking, you don't need him to score and you don't need to go to him on the block as much. He can impact the game in so many ways. So I've been really impressed with him. Yeah. Not only, I mean, I think the play against St. Louis where he kind of got out there, blocked the shot, let out to a transition basket was the highlight for him defensively. But even when he's not blocking shots, he's clearly altering shots at the rim. He's going up, vertically he's being smarter on the defensive end not committing any of these you know stupid fouls like you mentioned and he's he's really you know he had three fouls against Miami three fouls against St. Louis three fouls in the first game against Niagara I think those two games in the middle Western Carolina and Binghamton not to take too much away from those but he was being smart foul wise there as well I think we're going to see a much smarter much more complete at least on the defensive end Julian Reese and then someone whose offensive skill set just really complements these guys on, on, excuse me, the rest of the starting five. I think hopefully, you know, I'd like to see kind of Jameer and Juju develop sort of a, a pick and roll uh, type connection where, you know, it's only five games into their careers together. But I think what we've seen from Jameer is he has some really good vision as well and can make plays by getting getting behind the defense. Um, he has that little floater that he likes to use from, from five to eight feet out. But some of those uh, to turn into passes to uh, Juju Reese, I think, the, his skill set just perfectly complements the the rest the other four starters in the starting five. Yeah, and let, let's talk about one of them. We've 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 gone long enough without talking about the star of this show, who's been Dante Scott, um, and he's just been phenomenal this season, especially this past weekend. He had, he matched his career high against St. Louis with twenty five, and then followed that up with a performance against Miami where he had twenty four points. But the Miami performance wasn't just twenty four points; it was eight rebounds and three assists as well. So he's he's doing it all for this team. And I wrote a piece uh, at the beginning of the season that this team will go as far as Dante Scott goes. This is as far as Dante Scott takes them. This is Dante Scott's team. And look, after his sophomore season, there was a lot of positive buzz around him from NBA scouts, from the college basketball world, because he shined in a complimentary role uh, for that team after his sophomore season. You know, he he didn't need to be the star of the show all the time, but he he could come off the pick and pop and transition threes. He was, he was a strong... Uh, strong forward, I guess, that he would take guys on the block. 
So everyone thought, okay, he's going to take a jump next season. And last year was just a bad year. Obviously, it was a chaotic year for everyone involved in Maryland, um, trying to learn two new systems in a matter of, of months. But he he wasn't good. He was trying to force a lot of shots. He was clearly out of shape. The effort wasn't there defensively. He just wasn't didn't have a good season. It was a down year for him. He comes into this year. He loses close to 30 pounds, and it's really, really noticeable. You know, people like to say all the time, like, oh, he lost all this weight. Uh, yada 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 they just say like he's down all this body fat and sometimes it just doesn't really you don't really see it materialize on the court you can see how in shape he is especially defensively his effort has been phenomenal this year he's locked in for the most part on all possessions defensively playing incredibly hard and then offensively his three-point stroke is back he looks really good like I I talked about earlier but in transition coming off screens he looks just really comfortable shooting the basketball but most of these plays and I was talking about this with you ben i was watching some film most of these plays are so simple he initiates the ball from the top of the key throws it to the right hash and 60 percent of his post-ups are coming on the right on the left block and 40 percent are coming on the right block so he can really post up on other sides but he's throwing the ball to a wing he's setting a screen and just kind of sealing his man posting up catching the ball in the mid post and going to work and that's where a lot of his baskets have come from this season and he's just dominating guys and he's a matchup nightmare and i don't think that's going to change even when they get into Big Ten play. He really is, like, he's a stretch for them. Go out and shoot the ball. He's quick. He has guard skills where he can handle the ball. He can back guys down where he's physical and strong, even with that weight that's shed off. And he just, he looks like a completely different player that I do think if this finishes, if this continues this season, will garner some some NBA buzz when coming into the season. I didn't really believe it. It was hard to believe after the season we saw last season. Um what uh, Kevin Willard said before the year, he thought he would be an 18 and 10 guy and an all Big Ten first team guy. And people kind of scoff- scoffed at that. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's realistic after what we saw last year. But it looks like he is he's completely changed and transformed his game and body. Yeah. Willard said before the season, he's a guy that has an NBA game, but not an NBA body. And he lost, I think, 27 pounds, 16 to 9 percent body fat. And he might have both now, Sam. I mean, Let's start defensively. I think he's averaging a block per game. He's rebounding the ball at a really high rate, playing hard for every minute that he's on the floor in the defensive end, as is everyone on the roster, which, you know, people might not have said was the case with him in years past. But then you look at the offensive end. Uh, I like those stats, the 60-40 splits uh, on on uh, each side of courtesy the block Courtesy of there. Synergy. Yeah, yep. courtesy of Synergy. Um, and I need a little sponsorship there to get some action. But um, back to his offensive game, I think, Last year and and even at the beginning of this year, you saw times where he'd be tired and frustrated and he'd kind of just settle for these bad shots from three, right? I mean, you mentioned that earlier in the show, and I think that's something that was a big negative of his offensive game. Now you're just legitimately seeing him, even though he lost the 30 pounds, he cut down his body fat, he still retained that strength that he's always had, and he's backing guys down and just using his utter strength, bringing him into the post, scoring buckets for the Terps, making plays for his teammates. I think... What Dante has done with his body and and people, like you said, Sam, people overrate body transformations all the time. Um, you know, people were even talking about Dante before last year and his body transformation. You didn't really see it. But now it, it is so tangible, so blatant that you can see that he's just a, a better player this year. And a guy that I think is going to get first team all Big Ten buzz if this keeps up, a guy that's going to get NBA buzz if this keeps up, and the guy that's going to be the most important uh, key to this team's success, like you mentioned preseason. So I think what we've seen from Dante on both sides of the floor, just the energy level is higher. The offensive game is at another level. Um, and I think it, it, it's it partly due to his transformation and, you know, that trust in Kevin Willard and kind of bringing his game to another level. Yeah, he's just a legitimate three-level versatile scorer. Like if you if if he's shooting the ball at a high clip like he is from three-point range, and I think he will continue to as long as he takes in-rhythm uh, quality shot selection threes um you really have to go out and guard him out there and he can handle the ball so he can take you off the dribble he has good footwork in the paint he can catch it on the on the the low block or the the mid post and and go to work he can body people he just he can score at all three levels the mid-range the post and three-point shot so it's really it's going to be a difficult guard and you know i said it i've said it all year but you know this he's the best player on this team and this team will go as far as he takes them you know i'm not saying he's going to average 24 a game but as long as he's consistently locked in on both sides of the ball and playing and shooting the ball at this caliber and, and playing at this level 
And I don't think it's going to change even as the opponents get tougher here in the next couple of weeks. I, th- I expect this to be the same because he really is that talented of a player. And it's it's been it's been fun to watch because he's been great. Yeah, he's contributing in every facet of the game, Sam. I think he's averaging like two and a half offensive rebounds per game. He's yeah. playing He's playing hard the entire time, which like I and said earlier, yeah, I, that, I, th- and- I think that was a big con of his game is that you saw times where he took plays off or he looked tired out there and he's... No, absolutely. Like I talked. I, I'm not going to say his name because he actually works for a team now. But I talked to a scout, and I think I told you this off air. But I talked to a scout last year who was at the Big Ten tournament. And I was asking him who he was, who he was there for, and he told me he was there for Hakeem Hart. He probably has the most NBA ready body. He has length, and and um, he can he has length, and and he just kind of has the defensive instincts of an NBA player. But the, his shots wacky. That's kind of what the scout told me. And this this is a legitimate scout, by the way. I'm not going to use his name, but he's a very legitimate scout. I think you know who I'm talking about, Ben. Yeah. Um, and but and then Dante, and then the negative was Dante Scott. It's like it's like he doesn't put it in. Like there's there's effort concerns, you know, the hustle concerns and and effort concerns. And that's what this guy w- we were having a conversation about. And it looks completely different this season. That was a real concern and criticism of his last season. But that doesn't look like a concern at all this season. It really looks like two different players from an effort perspective. Right, and it goes back to the overall buy-in and the overall intensity that we've talked about with this Terps team. And Scott's kind of embodying it, and everyone's following him. It, it's it's all Willard, I think, or you know, the effort by the players isn't all Willard, but I think it's what he's instilled into this team, and just how he says he's an easy coach to play for. And if you play hard 100 percent of the time on the defensive end, you'll have offensive freedom. I think his team has bought into his philosophy, and and we're seeing that with Scott from the top all the way down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, look, this is—it's been a fun season, you know. The, it is crazy. Like literally in one weekend, the narrative has completely shifted from this As team is going to accomplish nothing, and no one should be paying attention to them. To this team should be in the NCAA tournament. This team is a top twenty-five team in the country. This team should compete in the Big Ten, which is wild. And there is a lot of season left to go, and there's still a lot, lot of concerns. And I still have concerns about the bench and and the depth of this roster. But so far, so good for Maryland, who's 5-0. and And upcoming, just to recap their schedule that's coming up here real quick, they'll have Coppin State this Friday. Um, Juwan Dixon's return to College Park. Obviously, he's the coach of Coppin State, Maryland legend. Everyone knows, knows that. That'll be a Friday. Should not be a problem for Maryland. Then they'll play Louisville next week, which, again, this is a horrible Louisville team. Danny, Danny Manning revenge game. But and, and this is cool. a... This is, yeah, and Aiden McCool, the walk-on from last year. This is a horrible Louisville team. I don't think Maryland Maryland should be big favorites in that one. And then it gets really tough. Then they have Illinois next Friday night, December 2nd at home, which me and Ben were talking about it before. But, you know, this should be Xfinity Center 2020, pre-pandemic, that crazy run that Maryland went on. Because that should be a top 25 matchup between Illinois and Maryland. And I think... I think a lot of people are really excited to see that one. That should be great. And mm-hmm. then they'll have um, Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin, who am I met? Tennessee and Tennessee, UCLA. UCLA. Yep. That's a really tough four-game stretch, and we're going to find out a lot about what this team really is in in over the next couple of weeks before Big Ten play really heats up after that. But so far, so good, and and the narrative's completely shifted in just one weekend. It is crazy. Uh, everything's coming to fruition. The defense is, you know, just read a stat here real quick. Sixth best perimeter defense in the country. I think that's what Willard wants. He wants, you know, to limit the threes and milk out the shot clock, and they're they're doing a really good job of that thus far. Um, that Illinois game, if, if you take care of business against Coppin State, which you assume will obviously happen, and then Louisville, you know, they might be 0-6 after the Maui Invitational this weekend, and do they have any more games before Maryland, and then they play. No, two more games before Maryland, both the Maui Invitational. They might lose them both. They might be 0-6. But on the road, still can't look ahead to that game um, or look ahead for that game against Illinois by uh, looking ahead of uh, Louisville. But if you win both those, that game against Illinois will be a nationally ranked matchup. Absolutely bonkers in the Xfinity Center. Gold rush, everything you can imagine. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into a full preview of that one as that one gets there, but could be a matchup of undefeated Maryland versus an Illinois team that's ranked higher than them. So really exciting times for Maryland basketball. Yeah, it sure is. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is going to be a fun season. This team is fun to watch play, and I think a lot of fans that were out last year, like this program is really down bad, have bought back in at least in the early going of this season, and that's fun to see. And look, the Xfinity Center has been pretty dry so far this season. Of course, bad non-conference teams they've played, but it's been pretty dry. The Xfinity Center, I think, and and Kevin Willard's known that he's talked about it. I think I think he's ready, um, and and Maryland fans are ready. For, or Maryland's ready for that Xfinity Center to be packed once again. And it should be fun when it is. So, I mean, we'll keep talking about this team and, and throughout the rest of the way. But the football season isn't over yet. And there also, it was a really exciting day in Maryland sports this past Saturday. Maryland, obviously, basketball dominated St. Louis. And then you go over to the CQ Stadium in College Park. And Maryland is very close. Maryland football, that is, as we transition here, is very close to pulling off one of the probably could have been one of the greatest upsets in college football um, in recent time, considering what's at stake for Ohio State moving forward. Then, I mean, they almost did it. The score was 43-30, to 30, the final, but it was really 36-30, to 30, and Maryland had the ball and a chance to win the game late, very late in the fourth quarter, and Ohio State got a fumble or sack fumble for a touchdown. So the score looks isn't really indicative of how close it was, but Ben, I mean, this this was I mean, the line was 27 and a half. Everyone expected Ohio State to come in and dominate Maryland, particularly how bad Maryland had looked the previous two weeks against Penn State and Wisconsin. But Maryland looked phenomenal. They played really hard. Their defense stepped up uh, Talia and the passing game and just the offense as a whole looked like they got back on track again. I mean, what were your overall takeaways from this almost historic upset against Ohio State? Yeah, I was shocked for one. I was not. I was expecting a massive, massive blowout. I think you give credit to the defense in the first half. Wrote about it in uh, in my game story then, but they kind of set the tone. Ohio State had a couple three and outs. I think three punts in their first five drives, which is you know about the average that they averaged per game um, in their previous ten games. But they fought, man. It, it was it was a, a wildly exciting game. Um, I, I think everyone in that press box and everyone that was watching probably thought they almost had it. They didn't, you know, Ohio State didn't have its A game, didn't have its B game, maybe its C game, uh, but they're just so much more talented than Maryland was. And I think when push came to shove, we just kind of saw that talent difference, that talent gap kind of did it all itself. And their third string running back had three touchdowns. Like, it, I, I don't know, Sam. I, I, I think all things considered, if you just look at that game, just as one game as an individual event, it's a really, really encouraging performance from Maryland. It's probably a good sign of what's to come. But at the end of the day, it, it is, you know, third leg of a three-game losing streak after they got embarrassed at Wisconsin, didn't even score a single point at Penn State. And, you know, that they, they, they fought they fought their butts off against Ohio State and, you know, just, just fell short. And I think I think the talent gap was probably the biggest difference there. It didn't Maryland probably played what? like a, a B plus game. One of, one of their best games yeah. of the season. You could argue I mean, that Maryland's two best games of the season have both been losses. So, yeah, I mean, look like first off, they do deserve credit for how they responded after being yep. embarrassed. I mean, they were embarrassed those last two weeks and they were Loxley said it after the game, they were out toughed. And, you know, Loxley obviously had this meeting where he asked everyone to step up and say, where are we as a program? Where are you as individuals? And um, there was a lot of accountability taken in that meeting. He said, but at the same, but that so so it was so it was impressive that 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 they competed against one of the best teams, maybe the best team in the entire country after two embarrassing performances, and they easily could have lay over. And that does speak to the culture and the fight that this that this over this program has and Loxley's instilled in them. But at the same time, like you said, it, it is a three game losing streak, and you can't you can't when you're looking back on the season, you're not looking back at. Like, yeah, let's take a big picture look at the season. When you look back at the season, you're not looking back, oh, they almost beat Ohio State. They almost beat Michigan. They compete against them. No, you're looking back at, like, how in the world did they lose that game to Purdue? Mm -hmm. They got bullied and embarrassed by Penn State once again and Wisconsin on chilly, snowy, rainy, whatever you want to call it, November days when their offensive line and defensive line were bullied. And that's and that's where they really struggle as a program. And I think everyone recognizes that that if this program is going to take the next step, it needs to happen in the trenches. But going back to Ohio State for a second, um, you know, 
you you're right. They probably did play like a B plus game. If you're gonna beat Ohio State or Michigan, two, to two of the top four teams in the country, you need to be perfect. And against Michigan, you can't fumble the first opening kickoff touchdown, and you can't have two turnovers, even if one of those interceptions wasn't really an interception. And then against Ohio State, again, they weren't perfect. Um, I'm blanking on the play that happened, but what was it? There was a a pick or a return, something return for a touchdown, fumble return for a touchdown. Oh, excuse me, that was a block blocked block. punt. Yeah. A blocked punt. I was blanking for a second. It was a blocked punt that was returned for a touchdown. If you're going to be Ohio State, that play simply can't happen. You need to be perfect or as perfect as possible to beat a team like that. And at the end of the day, uh, they weren't. And you know they're they're sitting here at, at six and five with, with a one more game left where they will be favored, where they are favored in by two touchdowns. But it, it's a chance for them to finish six and six potentially if they lose that game which would be the same record as last season, which would be a huge disappointment. Yeah, kind of like you mentioned, I think when you look at the season, big picture-wise, it's a lot easier to say 20 minutes after that Ohio State game ends, like, wow, like, proud of the effort. Like, team competed with a team that is seen by many as the best in the country or the second best in the country. But I think that Purdue loss is probably the overwhelming result of the season, losing 30 to nothing to Penn State, not putting a single point on the board, and then, Unfortunately, unfortunately, the negative is always going to outweigh the positive, right? And this team on paper and, and you know, what we've seen on the field before the bye week and against Ohio State, you can look at that game too. It's the best Maryland team we've probably seen since, the, at least in the Loxley era. I don't think that's debatable. Um, and now if, if they beat Rutgers, they're only going to finish 7-5, and five, which is a one-game improvement from last season. It goes back to the same discussion we've been having since – I don't know, since they lost that game to Wisconsin or before that game when we talked about big picture expectations. Is that really the next step? I don't know. I asked Loxley post game Saturday, you know, do you think the gap is closed between Maryland and, and the top programs? And kind of just talked about, you know, Maryland's how he was proud of the effort and all that. But I think when push comes to shove, there's going to need to be accountability of look, has the gap closed? Has this team taken the next step? This next step kind of needs to be defined in in the public light of things, and or at least internally in that program. I'm not even sure if it is. I think, but um, you know, it, it's it's the same I, old it's know, the same old story this year. I, I hate to say it, maybe the results were closer, but they're still else. They haven't beaten more. Yeah, teams. I mean, to answer the question, did the gap close? I think minimally, minimally, excuse me, Jesus, <laughs> minimally it did close. Um, but I don't think it was enough and the expectation that was that it would close at a much greater rate and wouldn't still wouldn't be this wide at the end of the season. You know, if you look at just the Michigan game, they competed against them. One of the best teams in the country. Yeah. Maybe it would be a fluke, but they competed against both Michigan and Ohio state. And yeah, it was interesting spots for them. Obviously Ohio state look ahead. They play Michigan this coming weekend. Um, and, there was a lot going for Maryland to, to to potentially compete hungry off two bad losses. But the reality is they competed against two of the top teams in the country. So I do think you have to look at the gap and say, okay, it closed a little bit. Not not a lot, but it did close a little bit. But I think the expectation was that it would there would be the the margin between Maryland and the the best teams in the Big Ten would be much smaller than it is at the end of the season. And the, it's still a huge gap. That's the reality. I mean you got embar- like you got embarrassed by Wisconsin, and you, then you got embarrassed against um, Penn State. That just can't happen. Uh, so, I mean, look, like, you talk about the gap, it's it's still there. Like, it's it's simply yeah. still there. Yeah, it, it might be slightly less of a gap, but it's still an astronomically large gap until Maryland beats one of these teams, and the record doesn't look as embarrassing as it is. Will it happen? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Saturday is encouraging in a nutshell, but looking at the, the season as a whole – you got a chance to beat Rutgers. You're, you're two touchdown favorites. You should beat them. Seven and five technically is an improvement, but this might be, the, it, it's a, it's the same discussion we've been having all year. This might be the best team that they have, or excuse me, it's probably the best team that they've had. And it might be the best team they have moving forward. I can't imagine next year's team being as good as this. I, I just can't. No. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's hard to say too many years down the line, but next year. Yes, yeah, certainly. I don't think the amount of seniors that, that are impact players for this program right now, I don't think, they're going to be as good next year. Year, but it, I think it does show that Maryland did prove they have the talent to yeah. compete with some of these great teams. But in terms of the trenches and the offensive line and defensive line play, they're not even close to some right. of these top teams, and and that's the problem. And and you can win those. Some you can compete in some of these games when you have the talent. Like, look, 
like I've kind of discovered this about Talia, but when everything's going really well for him on all ends, the offensive line is playing well, his wide receivers showing up, the defense is playing well. When things are going well for Talia, he's he's can play really well. And he 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 competed. He did really well against Ohio State, especially Great bounce game. back game. Yeah. 293 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, which is encouraging. So when he plays, when when things are going well for the team as a whole he can play really well and kind of carry you. But when things are breaking down, and that's what great quarterbacks do, when things are breaking down, they're the ones who make plays and they're the ones that get you over the finish line. He, I don't think Talia is that type of player, if that makes sense. So I think it's, I, I so I, you really just need to build from the offensive line. And look, Talia will be back next year. I don't see anyone, I don't see him going anywhere else. So I think he'll be back next year. And I don't know if it's in the transfer portal. I don't know if it's in the developmental stage because they have done, they have done a decent job recruiting offensive linemen but they're clearly just not up to the, the the capabilities that some of these other big guys at these other programs are. Yeah, look, the O-line killed them against Penn State, um, hurt them against Ohio State. I think Jalen Duncan projected, you know, maybe first-round pick in the NFL had a bad game against Ohio State. And it was the defensive line that didn't do anything in the trenches against Ohio State. How many – would they have one tackle for loss or, or – I don't know. Emmett, Emmett did a, uh, Emmett Siegel in his grades weekly column did a great write-up on that and kind of has all the stats in there. But you're right about the trenches. It starts there. Is is that a fixable gap? I I, I really don't know. I, I think a lot of these questions, some of them have answers. Some of them are just can only be solved to a certain extent. Um, I'm not really sure what the limit is for this football program, but you know, I, I think at the end of the day, yes, seven and five is not good enough, but there's got to be a middle ground between that and, you know, being on the same level as the Ohio States, Michigan's and Penn State's, because in my opinion, I really don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like there's just inherent disadvantages and we feel yes. like we've had the same conversation over and over again. And you there's can have it for in- years, weeks, week after week, yes. year after year. Yeah. And there's just inherent disadvantages that come with being the head coach and, and being at Maryland football. There just is. And we've talked about them so many times. You can go back and, and we've gone into great converse, great detail about them. So you can go back and listen to that over the weeks. But at the same time, like Loxley do, does deserve credit for getting them completely turning around the program. And he did do a 180 with the program. And they were a horrible, embarrassing program that was completely irrelevant in college football. And he has made them relevant. He has got them to a place where they should be consistently bowl eligible. So that, that is a 180, and he does deserve credit for that. But he he's the one who keeps talking about closing the gap. The next step he keeps talking about is closing the gap. The gap is still as wide as ever, even if they did close it just a little bit this season. Yeah, and who knows what that, that gap, if it will decrease. Don't want to sound like, like a broken record here necessarily, but I, I think both the points we're making are, are valid in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. But there is still one game left to play, and then they will have a bowl game. Um, a lot of projections right now with the Motor City Bowl in Detroit. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what other projections there are. Maybe guaranteed rate in uh, in Arizona. Guaranteed rate in Arizona was the um was the Duke's Mayo Bowl still a possibility? I haven't, I haven't been seeing the Duke's Mayo or the Music City Bowl in weeks. Yeah, which is crazy to think is. because because there was a Citrus Bowl representative that that Maryland Purdue game and they, they kind of dropped the ball there. Could yeah, they, that, they that, that, that game is really going to be the difference between that. No, it'll be the, no, it'll, I will never, ever, ever forget that game from the no, season. Ever. No. You can't, you can't, it's a game they nope. absolutely should have and could have and maybe would have at a different point in time one, but they didn't. Um, but there, there's still a bowl game to be played at some point in late December. And there's one more game. There's the Rutgers game, which we're going to talk a little bit about here. Um, Rutgers, Maryland is the favorite by two touchdowns for a reason. They're a much more talented team. They, they're just they're just the better team. Rutgers has struggled this season. You know they have a pretty good defense. They've competed. They've been in some games. They've competed against some really good opponents. Even against Michigan, they didn't compete the way Maryland did, but they were in that game for a while. Um, they had a lead on Penn State, I think, last week. Yeah, you know Rutgers. Rutgers played some teams hard, and they always do with Greg Schiano at the at the helm. They've they haven't completely turned around. They've made improvements, but they haven't completely turned around where they're a team that could be consistently bowl eligible the way Maryland has. But um they're still towards the bottom of the Big Ten. But Maryland, it's still a tough task. You know, Maryland plays them. It seems like the last game of every year. It's certainly not a rivalry, but I think on rivalry week, they're like, where else is Maryland gonna play? I guess New we'll just Big put Ten them at Network. Rutgers. Yeah, I guess we'll just put them with pair them with Rutgers, two programs that were for years at the bottom of the Big Ten. What, what what do you think about this game? What are your initial impressions? Yeah, I think 
you know, uh, we talk about the gap. I think there's two gaps right now at this point, and I think you got to credit Loxley for that, turning Maryland into back-to-back bowl-year eligible teams. And, and, you know, the bowls are now probably the standard at Maryland. I think there's probably two gaps. I think the ultimate large one, which we've talked about between Maryland and the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Penn State, Wisconsin's the conference. And then there's a gap, which I think is a little bit smaller. I think at this point, Maryland's probably separated themselves from Rutgers in the Big Ten. I think probably Northwestern fluctuates there, but I think Indiana. I think Maryland is is the clear fifth best program in the Big Ten East, if that makes sense. I think they're now a better program than Indiana and Rutgers. Uh, I know Indiana had that good year a couple of years back, but they've kind of really been on the Yeah, I mean, Maryland's spiral. beat them two straight years, so yeah. I think that's fair to say. But But yeah. again, I mean, I think very, very soon. Um, there will be no divisions anyway, so right. it's hard to even like it's it's of it's course. pointless almost even to talk about where they are in the Big Ten East division. Of, of course, but for, I'm just saying historically with with this matchup, you know Maryland Rockers, Maryland's now three and five in the Big Ten. Rockers is one and seven. Um, Maryland beat Rockers last year to to get to bowl eligibility. Obviously, a great moment for Loxley and his staff there. Now the expectation is at home. It's going to be a really lackluster crowd, would be my guess. Um, Oh, nobody's gonna be there. No one's gonna be there on uh, on Saturday. I think even even the the biggest Maryland fans might want to watch uh, Michigan Ohio State instead of standing in the cold. But um, I, I think Maryland's favored by two touchdowns for a reason here. Talia Tugavala limped off the field uh, against Ohio State to end last game. Looks like he's gonna play. Says the knee feels good. I think with a healthy Maryland team, it's just there's just more talent than this Rutgers team. Rutgers has, has had some changes at, at the QB position. I just think Maryland's been the more stable team all, all year long, the better team all year long, evidently. And uh, I think this is the two touchdown spread is probably, you know, sufficient and, and is a rightful spread for this game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, you know, the one thing you can say positively about Maryland is over the last two seasons, that, and this is why the reason they've gone to bowl eligible, they do beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And maybe Purdue is a team they're supposed to beat, but uh, they're very, those were very two evenly matched teams. I mean, when Maryland's, hands and shoulders or head and shoulders better than a team they usually beat them you saw that with northwestern you saw that with indiana the last couple of years um when and all the non-conference teams they've played when they're better than a team they're supposed you know they, they should beat them and they do and i think that's gonna be no different against Rutgers this weekend i think they're gonna take care of them pretty handily um is there a, especially you know it would be different if maryland got completely blown out by ohio state last weekend maybe all three straight games of getting embarrassed would be demoralizing going into this week even even to get to that seventh win and prove one game over last season but you know maryland competed and i still still think they're showing a ton of heart this late in the season so i i i don't really see Mer- Rutgers. um i know it might be a competitive game but i don't mm-hmm. really see Rutgers um with like being being able to win this game especially at home for maryland yeah, I think I think the buy-in is still there for Maryland. I think whatever the outside discussion is, I think you know the 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 team internally can probably take a lot off of that Ohio State game and build on it. They're look they're the better team than Rutgers. I think it can be a competitive game. I think this is a team uh, a game that Maryland will win regardless. Uh, it might not be by fourteen. I think there is. I think it actually will be competitive for at least the first three quarters. Um, but I think Maryland's just too good. They're going to outlast them. And, you know, I think there's probably a sense of pride in the locker room to for those guys that were there last year to improve on your win total. Um, you know, get to seven wins compared to six might not mean much to, you know, us and, you know, Maryland fans and as a whole in the media. But I think there is a sense of pride that probably goes into this game and just sending out the seniors on a high note. Locks has talked about that for the last, what, month or so, looking looking ahead to November. Now this is senior day. It's the last home game. Um, you know, give, give them a high note to go out on because – you don't know who's going to be playing in the bowl game, given uh, you know, the, the current situation of, of the NFL draft landscape and, and all of that uh, stuff there. So we will see. I, I do think this team is is the buy-in still there, and I, I think there's internally a lot to play for against Rutgers. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and that's why I do expect them to take care of Rutgers. I do agree with you that it should be it should be competitive, but we'll see. Um, score prediction. Score prediction. Um, Let's get up the DraftKings odds here. I think I think two touchdowns. I I think it's probably dead on. I think Maryland is going to win this game by two touchdowns. I'm going to go uh, Maryland thirty five, Rutgers twenty one. Um, let's see what the, the the actual spread is here, so I can see if the uh the over under uh, fourteen yeah fourteen and then over under forty nine. So thirty five twenty one would have that um over hitting. 
if my math's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I have similar score. I, I think Maryland might be covering for a lot of the game. I could see, I do see Rutgers covering. I agree with you that it should be around that 14 number, but I think Rutgers kind of has a late touchdown and field goal to, to allow them to cover that 14 point spread. I got Maryland 31 Rutgers 21. Um, I do think it's not like it's competitive, but Maryland has complete control over the entire game in a similar way to yeah. that Northwestern game with Billy Edwards. You know, like it wasn't really a doubt Maryland was going to lose. It felt like Maryland was controlling the game, the better team the whole time, but it, it was a pretty competitive game. I see a similar feel with that against Rutgers, but I do think Maryland moves to seven and five on the year. We would both, that's exactly what we both predicted, predicted, predicted at the beginning of the year. And, you know, the way the year went, you know, at the beginning of the year, we would have said that's a successful year. The way the year went, I don't necessarily know if we're, if we're clapping like this is some, some great step forward year for Maryland. I'm, I'm certainly not. But 7-6 and six is technically a one-win improvement from last season. So it is a step forward. How big of a step? That, that remains to be seen as you, as the program moves forward in years to go. Yeah, I don't think anyone's doing victory laps over 7-5 and five, given what we've seen from this team on the field. But, you know, it, it is a win improvement if they beat Rockers. And, you know, definitely I think there, there's some pride that goes into that, like I said. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we'll be back next week. Um, Maryland football season will be in the books. We have a very special guest coming on the show next week, a Maryland football legend. I won't give his name out but you'll have to stay tuned and, and tune into the show next week to to hear from him on the state of maryland football and his time at maryland but it is a maryland football legend that you will not want to miss uh yeah so we'll be breaking down we'll talk to him we'll give you a full breakdown of maryland football's entire season because that'll be wrapped up um we won't know the bowl game yet exactly but we'll have a better idea when the college ball season as a whole is for a regular season is wrapped up um and then maryland basketball will have played one more game I believe. When's that Louisville game? Next Tuesday or Louisville Wednesday? Louisville game is it'll be after our next podcast. So it'll yeah. it'll be it'll be right before the podcast in oh no. No, 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 it's either Never Tuesday mind. or Wednesday. Maryland, Maryland I'm very wrong. Like I'm getting my days mixed up. Maryland basketball will have two more games under their belt two more by, games. by the time of our next usual recording on Wednesday. Yeah, so we'll be recording next Wednesday. We'll talk more about Maryland basketball. They'll have Coppin State, and then they'll have the Louisville game. Should be two wins. They'll certainly be favored in both games. We'll see what happens, but we'll talk about all of it, break it all down. And like I said earlier, we'll have a very special guest that you will not want to miss on next week's show, Maryland football legend. But for now, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next week.